Well, we can't say we haven't been warned. The number one issue on people's minds is health care. Comprehensive care for women's comprehensive needs. I opposed Obamacare. Same reason many people did. There are 700,000 Ohioans who now get care who didn't have it before. Ohio's Medicaid program funds health care services for almost 3 million Ohioans. More than 50% of births in our state are funded through Medicaid in mental health and addiction services, including those serving as a lifeline for addressing the opioid crisis, are largely dependent on Medicaid. This is Prognosis Ohio. I'm Dan Skinner. Since 2014, when Ohio expanded its Medicaid program, more than 700,000 Ohioans have received access to essential health care services that they previously lacked. Governor Kasich pushed for the expansion against the wishes of his own party, calling the expansion to near-poor adults, among others, a matter of life and death. During the gubernatorial race, Attorney General Mike DeWine, our incoming governor who will take office in just a few short days, was less than clear on whether he would support keeping the expansion or would seek to roll it back. Though DeWine eventually took the position that the expansion should stay, it's not clear whether he would push back if the state legislature again seeks to undo the expansion. What is clear is that he will join other Republican governors and state legislatures in implementing changes to Ohio's Medicaid program, most notably by instituting work requirements for Ohioans on Medicaid. On this episode of Prognosis Ohio, I talk with Medicaid expert Emma Sando. Emma earned a Master's of Public Health from George Washington University, during which time she worked at the House of Representatives Ways and Means Health Subcommittee. In 2010, Emma began working at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, spending two years working on the implementation of the Affordable Care Act in the HHS Budget Office. Emma eventually moved to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, where she served as the spokesperson for Medicaid and worked on the rollout of healthcare.gov and Medicare delivery system reform. Emma is currently working on her PhD at Harvard University, focusing on Medicaid politics and health policy. I should note before turning to my conversation with Emma that a few developments have transpired in the days between our conversation and the posting of this episode. Most importantly, incoming Governor Mike DeWine named Maureen Corcoran, the president of Voorhees Healthcare Advisors, to head up the Ohio Department of Medicaid. Okay, now to my conversation with Emma Sando. Emma Sando, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Probably more than anybody I know, you have openly professed your love to Medicaid. You know, you have a web uh, blog that you uh, run under the URL, Medicaid is the best. Um, I even, uh, for for listeners who don't know, um, want to mention, I believe, and you can either confirm or deny this, that you may have had a Medicaid, Medicare birthday party at some point involving cakes. Um, if you wanted to call some point every year, then yes, yes, it is true. So we are talking to a true enthusiast of the Medicaid program established in 1965. This being an Ohio-based uh, podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about not just the national scene, but a little bit about what's going on in Ohio um, in particular. I wonder uh, if, if you could just start off a little bit and tell us why. I mean, I think I have a sense of why I love Medicaid and why I think Medicaid is important. Um, but I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about what drives your enthusiasm for this program, um, even as we're talking about things like the Affordable Care Act and we have the Medicare for all folks out there? What is it about Medicaid in particular that gets you up in the morning? Um, I think that with Medicaid, unlike any other program in the United States government or 
probably any other program in the world. It is the most complicated program on the face of the planet. Not only do you have um, 56 states, and and I, I know how many states there are, 50, but then you have the District of Columbia and territories that have Medicaid programs. So you have 56. And then within each state Medicaid program, there's about 50 different uh, Medicaid programs that exist. So it's really complicated. There is no such thing as Medicaid that would uh, transfer from Hawaii to North Dakota. Uh, everything is so different from state to state, but also from type of person that's covered, whether that be uh, where a child gets their coverage to an elderly individual or a person with severe uh, healthcare needs. You learn something new every single day. And I'm not aware of any uh, person on the planet that can uh, really be a, a Medicaid expert in every single state. Uh, there's a sort of truism in Medicaid that once you know med- one Medicaid program, you know one Medicaid program, and and that makes things very interesting. And trying to learn at least two is is a Herculean feat. So that's one reason why I love it, but also because uh, it is the largest health insurance program in the country and uh, impacts the lives of about one in five Americans uh, directly, but then also um, most Americans have a, a member of their family or close friends that, that have Medicaid. So it's it's a really important program that provides insurance coverage for a huge portion of the American public. So, you know, when you think about Medicaid, then, um, as you noted, it's important to know your Medicaid program. You know, I teach medical students here in Ohio, and I try to, you know, they have such anxiety about health policy sometimes. You know, how am I, I going to possibly understand all of these different aspects of health policy? And Medicaid in particular, you know, I just try to get them to learn about their system because it's the system that for most of our students who do stay in Ohio, it's the one that they're going to have the most contact with. Um, so I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about, you know, the history as you understand it, uh, and also what, what is unique about the Medicaid program that we have in Ohio currently? Sure. So Medicaid was sort of a sleeper in uh, the passage of the Medicare Act of 1965. It was only about 11 pages of the some 200, 300 page bill. And um, a lot of people weren't really paying attention to it. The New York Times uh, never mentioned it during the, the debate, um, and it was barely mentioned um, in congressional testimony or, um, or on, on the floor of the House or the Senate. Um, but it uh, quickly became a very big program as uh, states moved a lot of their existing uh, programs that helped low-income adults which primarily at the at the time were helping um, seniors, so so a lot of those services went to um, the Medicare program to help seniors. But then the states either expanded or continued um, programs that helped uh, low income children, pregnant women, um, and adults with disabilities uh, to their Medicaid programs, and uh, some enterprising. Uh, states started expanding these um, quite significantly in the very beginning um, and coupled with uh, the late 60s, early 70s uh, economic recessions, uh, it became obvious that this was a very large program and uh, something that needed paying attention to. So Congress began uh, amending the, the law very quickly in the couple years following it. They added some services for children through the Early Periodic Screening Diagnosis and Treatment Program, EPSDT, which um, serves about 
uh, half of all children in America today in some form. And then, and then they also started contracting the program with allowing states to reduce the amount of benefits they had um, and, and just generally uh, reducing the amount that states could spend um, on medical services. Then in the 80s and 90s, uh, the focus shifted to more towards covering pregnancy and children at higher incomes, as well as uh, people with uh, disabilities. And then not until the 2000s and with the Affordable Care Act um, were the definitions of Medicaid really expanded to include people without children and, and sort of the childless adult population. Ohio started their program um, very interestingly with a, a more moderate program um, at the beginning. They didn't cover a lot of uh, potential op- opportunities for uh, coverage that the federal government allowed. Um, and they didn't spend nearly as much as some of the other states. But then um, as the program began ra- ramping up, the state began um, expanding coverage and expanding services. Um, uh, so it didn't experience that contraction as much as um, some other states had. It sort of ramped up from the beginning, um, which is in opposition to some of the other states in the area that started out with their eyes a little bit uh, too big for their plates, um, and then had to learn to contract their budgets uh, sort of immediately. In Ohio here, uh, it does seem like we need to have a kind of proof of concept in a lot of these kinds of policy developments. You know, in, in 2018, we had the four-year anniversary of the Medicaid expansion, and the conversation did address health, but mostly it seemed to address all of the different kinds of budgetary consequences of the Medicaid expansion, which is an interesting way to bring in a certain constituency that might be in principle opposed to the idea of something like Medicaid, but might show them that, you know, from a fiscal conservative perspective, that there are other reasons to get behind these kinds of programs. And I wonder if that's just something in states like Ohio that are a little bit more timid in entering into the, the big picture. Yeah, it seems that um, Ohio sort of resembles uh, some of the more southern states or um, or their neighboring um, Kentucky or or um, Tennessee and sort of the history of the the Medicaid program um, really first being more um, led by proof in other states or um, it, within the state itself. Uh, Ohio has done some kind of interesting things where it has uh, done demonstrations within the state, focusing on certain counties or certain areas of the state, and then expanding those um, to the broader population with this in the state, which is a technique that is not often used. Um, it seems seems a little bit obvious, but, but it, it's a little bit of a unique Ohio uh, trait too. And I th- we saw that in Medicaid expansion where uh, Cuyahoga County expanded Medicaid a couple uh, years before the rest of the state um, uh, instituted their whole, the whole program. And I think that helped the state iron out some of the technical elements to what it needed to do to expand Medicaid. And of course, that was one of the designs, right? The Obama administration seemed to assume that in offering demonstration projects and waivers and things like that, that they were going to be tapping into this idea that the states are laboratories of innovation, that one state might figure out how to do something really well and another state could borrow from it. Of course, now we see these waivers being used in slightly different ways 
uh, with the work requirements and, and things like that. So I, I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about, you know, where we are now. You know, obviously, I'm speaking to you in early January. We have a new governor who is going to take office, Governor DeWine, um, in late January. Um, wh- where do you see the kind of recent expansion leaving us? And where do you, if you have your crystal ball, um, where, where, where do you think it goes? I mean, what are some of the dynamics nationally and perhaps in Ohio that you think are worth watching? Sure. So it, the latest version of, of waivers um, in the states has been on the work requirement. And uh, the, the federal government has approved a number of waivers, not Ohio's yet, um, but pretty much every other state um, except Arizona uh, that has already, or Arizona and Ohio, who has already um, expanded Medicaid to include a work requirement or um, how it's deemed um, in the waiver request itself, a community engagement requirement to require people to work uh, 20 hours um, or participate in community service or job training programs, and if they do not, or 20 hours a week, and if they do not um, abide by that, then uh, they lose their um, health care coverage. Uh, Ohio did apply for a waiver that in um, 2016 that was rejected by the uh, Obama administration that would have instituted a uh, premiums on uh, low-income beneficiaries uh, to um, make um, low-income beneficiaries pay for uh, the Medicaid services that they receive. And that was uh, rejected in part uh, because it would have uh, seen a reduction in about uh, uh, more than 100,000 um, beneficiaries losing coverage. It's estimated that this work requirement would also uh, mean that Definitely more than um, the tens of thousands of individuals would would lose um, health insurance coverage. Um, so, but the Trump administration has been more um, willing to provide uh, these uh, states with these waivers. Just to make sure that listeners are up to speed on this, um, these eleven fifteen waivers were intended to find innovative ways to expand coverage or to at least keep coverage at the same level while reducing expenditures, things like that. But recently with the Trump administration, we've seen a push towards utilizing or being permissive with waivers that um, may actually reduce the number of beneficiaries who can be in the Medicaid program. Uh, We saw this more recently uh, with the Arkansas example, which early data out of that has shown that lots of people are being thrown off the um, Medicaid rolls um, due to the work requirements. Right, right. And the experience with low-income people and the Medicaid program historically has been um, a sort of stigmatized uh, and and difficult experience um, generally with the Medicaid program. Um, you don't often have to uh, submit lots of documentation, which um, I'm sure most Americans don't have access to immediately in order to become a Medicaid beneficiary. You'd have to apply through certain um, well, uh, welfare offices or um, other difficult means of applying, like faxing um, an application in and who in 2018 had has a fax machine. But all of that was changed almost overnight in every single state in the country um, with a requirement that if people are um, eligible for Medicaid because of their income, 
So if they are a low income um, beneficiary, as opposed to a person with disabilities who may be more moderately income or income is not as much of a part of their eligibility, those people would have the same application in every single state. It was supposed to be made pretty simple, um, a shorter application, not a lot of uh, unnecessary uh, paperwork to be filed and whatnot. Um, and what is defined as income for the first time was standardized across the country because if you before if you were making three thousand dollars a year in Alabama uh, or and making three thousand dollars a year in Wisconsin, the, the Medicaid offices would uh, disagree with what three thousand dollars was. Um, so it was a very uh, strange and complex process before, and it's all been made very simple as a result of the Affordable Care Act in 2014. However, states are starting to bring back those um, difficult applications and um, work requirements are just another way of making beneficiaries uh, go through the hoops in order to maintain their health insurance coverage. And one of the, one of the ironies of this, of course, is that these are many of the same people who lament um, government overreach and government bureaucracy. Uh, and while these workplace requirements, I mean, the critics of them tend to agree, it seems, that while the stated goal is to force more people to work, um, there seems to be a strategy by which um, just barriers to enrolling will reduce the number of people who are Medicaid eligible, and that that might be, some suspect, the actual goal of these these requirements. Right. And we have proof that um, when states in the past have implemented more uh, small barriers like $2 premiums or whatnot, it dramatically decreased enrollment. Not not because um, $2 a month is, is uh, necessarily a difficult uh, expenditure, but it, it's, it's another piece of paperwork. It's another mailer that you're supposed to uh, find if you don't have a permanent home or something like that, and another fax that you have to get to um, in order to send uh, your information in, for example. So it, it, adding the barriers, even if they're small or not, not necessarily um, considered something that, that would be difficult for beneficiaries, they do decrease enrollment just because they are an additional barrier to being enrolled. Medicaid, as, you, as you've noted, um, and as I've written about as well, you know, it was pretty controversial um, in Ohio when it was established. Governor Kasich really stuck his neck out um, and went against his own party, uh, had to pull some pretty interesting legislative and um, other bureaucratic maneuvers to get the expansion through. But it did get through and 700,000 or so Ohioans have access to Medicaid as a result. Governor DeWine has been a little less uh, stalwart in his support for Medicaid. He kind of got pulled toward saying that he would keep the Medicaid expansion if he were elected. And we have a legislature that all signs point to the fact that the legislature is still fairly opposed, although you don't have the kind of super majorities that you had in the previous um, legislature. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the Medicaid expansion, that history, and also just kind of the politics of possibly repealing it, possibly rolling it back. Yeah. So Medicaid really uh, gained a lot more prominence in the D.C. federal universe um, as a result of both the uh, 2012 Supreme Court decision. So in that in that first decision that uh, determined that the individual mandate was constitutional, although 
if you were watching the breaking news for for about five minutes there, you might have been confused by the the news reports coming out. So that that first um, uh, court case, um, the most significant thing that it did was instead of requiring every state to expand Medicaid, it made it optional for for every state and. That decision by the Supreme Court uh, really set off a political uh, set of events that that made it so that in every state, in every state legislature, Medicaid expansion was uh, sort of the most prominent political polarized tool that um, states could use to bring Obamacare into the into the state level and. Um, while it seemed like a no-brainer decision in, in any other time in history, um, because of our polarized environment, um, it really became a um, front and center uh, issue. Why I say it's a no-brainer is um, it brings billions of dollars into the state um, that the healthcare system could use and uh, makes it so that you have low-income people getting getting coverage, but also the hospitals and doctors being paid rather than that care being, being um, compensated. And also, I'll just add, I mean, it, one of the reasons why it's a no-brainer, I mean, based on just conventional wisdom within political science, is that a fundamental goal of every governor and every state legislature is to bring back as much federal money as you possibly can. And Medicaid had a lot of it on the table. Exactly, exactly. So a lot of states um, in deciding not to take the Medicaid expansion um, were leaving a lot of money on the table since in the first three years, the uh, Medicaid expansion was fully funded by the federal government. So no state dollar had to go into into that. And now uh, in 2019, uh, states are putting in um, about 10% of uh, the cost of um, the Medicaid expansion, which is not very much in terms of the amount of the 90% that the federal government is is paying. Uh, so that every single state has grappled with whether or not they um, should expand. And uh, Arizona was uh, sort of the first uh, Republican state that decided to um, expand. And, and uh, Jan Brewer's decision was uh, one that sort of uh, gave, I think, a lot more Republican governors um, a uh, way of um, making the argument that it was okay um, and that they can go forward. So they survived the expansion, you know, the world didn't end and everything can go on and it's okay to expand Medicaid. Right, right. Yeah. And and after that point, uh, several other states, Nevada um, and um, so, sort of the more uh, purplish states um, uh, w- that were run by Republican governors and legislatures joined in um, in expanding, and Governor Kasich made made the decision to expand, although he did not have the legislature with him, um, and went about it by arcane procedure, um, using a, a smaller board to make the decision, um, of which the uh, the legislature was not very happy and has tried throughout um, Governor Kasich's uh, time in office to either restrict 
the Medicaid program, freeze enrollment, for instance, um, or take other steps to uh, end the Medicaid expansion, such as suing the governor. Um, and all of those decisions have, have or by the legislature, have um, ended up not happening. And in part, that was due to Governor Kasich's vetoing at various points. That's a great place to just note that, you know, one of the ways a lot of Ohioans are thinking about our current political dynamic is that even if Governor DeWine supports Medicaid in some way, even if it's for budgetary reasons, um, the real question isn't whether he supports Medicaid or is behind the expansion. The real question is, uh, will, he, will he veto a legislative attempt to undo the expansion? And that's where most Ohioans looking at the issue are a little um, less certain that he would actually stand up and take that, that, that step, which Governor Kasich has taken. Right. So one thing that I very proud to uh, or excited to talk about um, because uh, the uh, federal uh, Congress last, well, I guess now it's two years ago in 2017, um, uh, made several attempts to repeal uh, the Medicaid expansion as well as um, to contract the Medicaid program in its entirety. The Medicaid program became front and center at all the political debate and Washington has sort of woken up to realize that Medicaid is a political force, um, sort of a third rail of, of politics, the third third rail next to Medicare and Social Security, um, of which politicians don't want to touch. However, if you look back at polling, the public has, has had the same view of the Medicaid program for decades and um, has consistently... Uh, had a very favorable opinion of Medicaid in the in the 70s and 80 percent uh, um, of the public supporting the Medicaid program, um, sort of consistently throughout the the, the last several decades. It's just uh, for the first time we're seeing that Washington is noting that the Medicaid program is popular and something that uh, that people would want to support and. States have really known that for a long time. Medicaid has sort of been a, a thing that you don't touch for in a lot of states. And I think one reason why the Ohio legislature um, has been so prone to adopting rules, uh, freezing the Medicaid program or restricting it is knowing that Kasich would veto it. It sort of makes it a, a vote that they know that won't come to fruition. And um, so I think things are going to be looked at a little bit more seriously when there's a potential that uh, that things could um, become very negative for them. That's been my that's been my suspicion for quite a while now. That the you know a lot of Republicans breathed a sigh of relief when the repeal efforts failed in 2016. Uh, I'm sorry, in 2017, and I think the same is true with Medicaid in Ohio. I mean legislators would have to deal with the consequences of 700,000 people, for example, losing their access to health coverage and the budgetary consequences. And there's a real difference. I mean, they want to go back to their districts and deliver the so-called red meat to say, you know, I, I guess I'm fighting hard. We're going to get rid of this horrible Obamacare. At the same time, they understand as legislators looking at the issue that um, there would be a lot of real problems with just pulling the rug out from a program like that. And probably that would maybe even for the first time be the thing that makes a lot of people aware of exactly those consequences. Exactly. So, you know, here in Ohio, I mean, when I talk with people who 
are intuitively opposed to Medicaid, regardless of the reason, you know, it might be stigma around poverty, or it might be, you know, like what's driving the work requirements, a sense of deservedness and, you know, freeloaders and all this kind of stuff. Two data points that often gets pulled out, even when, you know, we were talking with Senator Portman around what he would do with the expansion, um, the attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act, you know, is the opioid issue. And then the data point that lots of people note, which is that more than 50% of births in Ohio um, are funded through Medicaid. And obviously, the opioid issue has gained a lot of attention and a lot of sympathy. And of course, the birth of children always is perennially in that category. I wonder if you could just talk about, you know, the way in which we message to people about the importance of Medicaid for those who don't have access to the program or haven't thought about it. Um, wh- what kinds of what kinds of things do you emphasize to bring them to understand? exactly what the program does for us as a state, even if you yourself aren't necessarily benefiting from or dependent upon the program. Right, right. I think that um, even for people that are steeped in healthcare policy or state legislature policy, the fact that nearly half of all births nationally and um, in, in some states and some areas of the country, much higher rates of, of births are funded by the Medicaid program definitely is a uh, surprise to even the most um, knowledgeable uh, academics. Um, so that's a point that I um, like to bring out because chances are people know two children um, and, and <laughs> one of them might have been born by Medicaid it is sort of how percentages work. I've actually spoken with quite a few students, for example, who don't know and come to find out that Medicaid uh, was also the funding mechanism for their own birth. And that's happened in a couple of situations where people don't even realize. And I like even make sure that legislators know that lots of medical students are on Medicaid because, you know, they're taking on lots of debt for the early years of their education. And it's actually pretty shocking to some people to find out just how broad the Medicaid population is, especially when you put, you know, the dual eligibles who are on Medicare and Medicaid into the category for discussion. Right. And one of the ways that I became knowledgeable about the Medicaid program was my own grandmother began suffering from um, early stages of Alzheimer's. um, And Medicaid really is the only safety net for so many Americans with um, intellectual disabilities and and, uh, with with diseases like Alzheimer's, uh, who my grandmother was was never in the sort of category of people that there's ads about the undeserving poor. Um, like my grandmother worked her whole life and um, and had lots of savings, but was just devastated by all of the healthcare expenses that came at the end of her life. And um, and there's everyone has somebody like that in their lives um, that that would be devastated by a catastrophic illness. And um, everyone also. Uh, lives near hopefully a hospital um, or at least within um, a couple hours drive if you're out in real rural rural settings um, and that those hospitals are important and some of the hospitals especially in rural settings or um, in uh, large metropolitan areas are really dependent on the Medicaid program to provide uh, care and, and hospitals really need Medicaid in order to stay 
in existence. Uh, and you, you often see hospital closures in areas um, where Medicaid rates are not um, high enough or, or um, if they haven't expanded Medicaid coverage, a lot of hospital closures are in those states. And, and that's another way that um, people uh, really realize the importance of the Medicaid program. Complaining about rates is one thing, but with the hospitals, and you know, some of them were not enthusiastic about the Affordable Care Act out of the gates, and they had a number of things they were concerned about. But when it came to repealing the ACA or rolling back the Medicaid expansion, when you really got a chance to look at the, the decline in, in um, uncompensated care in Ohio's hospitals, and the, uh, the hospitals were really, really vociferously against undoing the Medicaid expansion just based on that alone. I mean, they really, really helped them. And I've talked to lots of people from hospitals here in, in Ohio. They were able to shift their uh, resources from you know the uncompensated care sort of sector to funding things like interpretation services and you know new supports for mental health and addiction services. So there was a real shuffling that went with the ACA. And in hindsight, the stability that it gave Ohio's hospitals was really significant. Right, right, and the same is true for uh, nursing facilities or um, many uh, other practitioners, nurse practitioners in certain areas, or like you were talking about uh, with the opioid epidemic, the way that uh, people survive opioid epidemic or the opioid crisis is um, through treatment, and Medicaid is a primary payer for treatment services, and um, it's better to give people treatment than obviously not have them be there. And um, Medicaid expansion is, is really um, the, the best way to make sure that the, those services are paid for. Yeah. And when I come back to um, the event I mentioned before, where the, the kind of four year look back on the Medicaid expansion here in Ohio, one of the things that struck me, you know, is listening to Medicaid director, Barbara Sears and the Ohio budget director were there and they were, they actually argued um, they, and they had, lots of fancy charts and stuff to, to demonstrate that even while the state's um, contribution percentage is, you know, moving towards 10%, they actually see the number as more like two to 3% because of all the ways in which the state has been able to save money in other areas. One of the big areas that they pointed to was in the prison system, um, that they're able to use the Medicaid expansion to fund all sorts of things that used to just fall on the um, shoulders of the state, but now are you know shared ninety ten with the federal government. So the, there's the, the the costs on paper, and then there are the costs in fact. Now, of course, that was Governor Kasich and his administration trying to you know celebrate one of their achievements and stand behind it. Um, there there are some skeptics out there about the numbers. But in general, it's it, what they showed is that it's with Medicaid. It's really important to look at the more holistic perspective of you know, total expenditures and uh, what it means to put these supports in place for the state in a more robust way. Right, right. And um, without Medicaid expansion, um, I'm sure Ohio and uh, many of the other states that are really hard hit by the opioid epidemic would be spending even more state money or having um, even higher rates of, of death because uh, treatment is just so hard to to fund other in other ways. Suppose you were talking to health professionals, you know, who who come from backgrounds primarily where they don't have a lot of contact with the Medicaid program, or at least may not know that they do. Or if you're talking to folks who are skeptics, who um, 
you know, especially with the work requirements of the undeserving poor and things like that. What, what's your best sell to them to bring them from where they are to where you are, which is that you love Medicaid and Medicaid is the best? Uh, the definition of Medicaid has really changed from the time that it was first uh, brought into the the picture. It's no longer a program um, that's sort of seen as a welfare benefit. It really is the only means of healthcare coverage um, for so many people. And without the system that we have today um, in the U.S. with our health uh, healthcare system, uh, without access to uh, in some sort of coverage and some sort of insurance, people cannot access the healthcare system and there's just no safety net for them. So Medicaid really opens the door for so many people um, to get healthcare and, and we don't have an alternative for 20% of our population at this point. So uh, Medicaid definitely needs improvement and definitely needs focus and attention and, and, all the best policy minds um, to be working to make it better, but um, it, in no way is it um, sort of worse than um, than nothing. Nothing is is definitely worse, and Medicaid does a lot of good out there, and um, and uh, should have have some attention paid to it, and have some um, uh, smart people thinking about it. And that's really all I I ask is that. We think about what else there is and think about how we're going to help um, people that don't have the financial resources to pay the, the large barrier to entry um, in the healthcare system. And um, luckily, we do have lots of smart people out there thinking about uh, how to defend, but also improve Medicaid. And um, I'm glad to say that Emma Sando is one of them. So i um, looking forward to talking with you throughout the year once the DeWine administration gets up and running. We'd love to have you back to talk about how it's all going and how the field continues to develop. I'd love to, and it's always wonderful to talk to you. Prognosis Ohio is produced by Dan Skinner with help from Riley McKee. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. As always, we welcome your emails to prognosisohio at gmail.com and your tweets and follows at at prognosisohio. For those interested in learning a bit more about Ohio's Medicaid expansion, you might want to read a piece I published in 2015 about the ins and outs of the expansion in the Journal of Health Politics, Policy, and Law. Email me at prognosisohio at gmail.com and I'll send it to you. Your feedback is really helpful. If you have ideas for themes and guests, we'd also love to hear them. See you next time. 